0: So, I do feel like we've been on quite a journey. I thought this thing is doing weird. Can you all hear me? Okay, okay. Um, the Israelites have crossed the Jordan and they have arrived at the promised land. We've seen them fight and God win. And now Joshua has given every tribe their inheritance save one. I read somewhere that leading these, reading these last eight chapters is like reading a map without pictures. Um, the first few times I read it I really thought my eyes were going to bug out of my head I was just like what does this mean Um, it's not the most exciting reading in the Bible so I was reading back in the summer and I was just trying to get a feel for what the Lord was going to teach me through Joshua and I had agreed to teach big group for um, this chapter I didn't pick it Um, it was assigned to me Um, and After reading it, I thought, what in the world am I going to stand up and talk to them about? I don't know. I mean, there's those killer verses at the end, but what about the other 42? (laughs) Um, If I believe that every word is inspired by God, and I most certainly do, what is God revealing about himself in all of this chapter? And to be honest, I sort of just kept putting this in the back burner. I'd think about it from time to time, and I would study, but I wasn't really forming any real cohesive thoughts. And my prayer was and is, Lord, please reveal to me through your word why these verses are included in your Holy Scripture. And studying the Bible requires a good bit of diligence and some hard work if we're going to reap all the treasures it contains. Um, listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Hang on. I'm really having trouble this morning. I think it's my hair. Okay. <clears throat> you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So this is where I am. I'm pleading. I'm studying. I'm training. I'm harvesting. I'm knowing that God will reveal his good word to me. I have responsibilities to uphold. He will give understanding. And this is good for me to remind myself of this because I'm often quick to read over something in Scripture that I think is too hard or too boring, and I just think I can't wrap my brain around it, and I just want to kind of skip right over it. It's just too easy I just want to push it down. This is what I call the Scarlet O'Hara syndrome. (laughs) I can't think about this today. I'll think about it tomorrow. But we can think about it today. And it is good and it is right for us to do so. We need to ask the Lord to forgive us from our sin of laziness. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirits of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Earlier I said that Joshua had given the inheritance. inheritances to all the tribes save one. I can almost hear the Levites singing, Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do you remember me? Why, yes. Yes, he did. Honestly, if I'm being really honest, when I first read this, I was like, you little brat, he's done all this for you, now you're going to go ask him for this land? I mean, hadn't he, done, hadn't he provided enough for you? That's my thought, because I'm thinking, I have sort of that judgmental spirit. I'd be like, of course, I'd be right there wanting my land, but you know, my first thought is, uh, why, did, why did you ask him for that? But it's right for them to ask for that, because God had promised to him. Calvin calls this, presuming on the veracity, on the veracity of God, what he promises he will do. Cue those verses at the end of the chapter. And we're going to talk about those in a more in a minute. He had promised them cities and pasture lands for their livestock, and he would make good on that promise. But he had promised them something more. He had promised them himself that he would be their portion. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. David cries out, O Lord, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of living. In the New Testament, um, our Lord continues the promise of our portion in him. Paul writes to the Ephesians, in Christ." We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He says to the Colossians, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And Peter expands even further. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Land is good, but it's just a shadow. Our thrice holy God is the true treasure. These are great truths for us to meditate on. The God of all heaven and earth has promised that he will be ours forever, that he is the covenant keeper, that he is the author and guarantor of our faith. He is our portion forever and ever. And it's because he is our portion that we can do the work he has called us to do. The Levites were representative of Israel, and some were priests, special men called by God, much the way pastors work today. But the rest of the Levites, those who weren't sons of Aaron, were still called to serve the Lord by teaching, preaching, judging, and so on. The New Testament says that we are a royal priesthood. Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Once, you were not a people. Now you're my people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, beloved. I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So I want us, to, I want us to think about the Levites and their life among the other tribes for a few minutes, and how the Scriptures compares us to them as believers. We are called and chosen to do the same work as the Levites. We are a royal priesthood. We are supposed to teach, to pray with, to give wise counsel to those whose lives intersect with ours. Most of us are not going to be called to grandiose work. Most of us will never be a famous Bible teacher. None of us sitting in this room will be called to be a pastor. I don't see any men in here. We won't sit on a panel with notable Christian women, and we won't speak at a conference before thousands. But that doesn't mean that we're not called to proclaim the good work of our Lord to those in our lives. Tim Challies had a quote this past week on his Insta, and it said this, more than the headline makers, it is the daily life of the average Christian that ultimately forms the world's perception of Christ and his gospel. Spurgeon often talked about the impact that mothers have on their children Those who think that a woman detained at home by her little family is doing nothing think the reverse of what is true. Scarcely can the godly mother quit her home for a place of worship, but dream not that she is lost to the work of the church. Far from it. She is doing the best possible service for her Lord. Mothers, godly training of your offspring is your first and most pressing duty. And he says about his own mother, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn word of my good mother. It is said that Augustine's mother had quite the influence on his life. And let me just say, he was really a, a bad boy. Um, he, before his conversion, he was um, not so good. And um, you can imagine her grief as she watched the, the son of hers carousing all over Italy, having a child outside wedlock, I, I don't think he was necessarily committed to one woman either, and so, but she kept on praying, and those prayers and those early teachings were used by God to bring Augustine to faith in our Lord. Martin Luther's efforts during the Reformation helped recover the biblical biblical doctrine of work um, based on the priesthood of all believers. He argued that everyday work is permeated with spiritual significance. I'm sure y'all have all heard this story before, but I'm going to say it again. There's a story about Martin Luther, and a man came up to him, and he said, I'm a Christian, so what what am I supposed to do now? And he asked him what he did, and he said, I'm a cobbler. And Luther says, well, then make a quality shoe and sell it at a fair price. And he later writes, the same is true for the shoemaker, the tailor, the scribe, or reader. If he is a Christian tailor, he will say, I make these clothes because God has bidden me to do so, so that I can earn a living, so that I can help and serve my neighbor. No matter what, we are called to work. We should consider every moment holy. The mundane becomes sacred because God and his great wisdom has called us to the beautiful work of spreading the gospel in the ebb and flow of our everyday lives. I hope this is an encouragement to you, that our everyday lives do matter to God. He doesn't need us, but he graciously uses us. All of our lives should serve as a means of grace to those around us. Let's count it a privilege to serve him where he puts us, not of our own power, but of his, relying on the Lord who gives us confidence to accomplish the work he has set before us. The outcome of our work here on earth is for the Lord to decide. That need not be our concern. It is because we are in Christ that our lives and our work look different from the rest of the world. We as believers are like the Levites, sojourners in a foreign land. Earlier, I read a passage from Numbers stating that the Levites would not get a portion of land for their own. They were given cities and pasture lands to to live in, but they really didn't have any land of their own. A while back, um, my husband and I um, lived part-time in Nashville. We rented a a little duplex. It was in a nice neighborhood. Um, It was really brown. I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't like it. And there was great shopping but every time I went to the mall or to the grocery or to Target, I never ran into a soul that I knew. And it was very unsettling and weird. And I felt like I lived in a foreign country. The truth is, we're not to really feel at home here on earth. It's not really our home. That's Why does Peter say that as sojourners we are to abstain from the passions of flesh? Because he knows that our citizenship is in heaven. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I often tell you, now even tell you through tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, and we wait, and if we await the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. So we should feel unsettled and weird. This isn't our real home. C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is we were made for another world. Conversely, I suspect that when I find myself overly comfortable in this world in which I live, I'm surely standing for so little that the world can't tell the difference between me and one of their own. When we accommodate our lives to look more and more like this world and less and less like citizens of heaven, we must confess and repent. But how can we know how God has told us to live if we don't have knowledge of him? God says, my people... Are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I meet people all the time who say they believe in a God that doesn't even exist. They believe in their feelings about God, but they reject the true God and what he has to say about himself and the word. And most of the time, it's because they've never taken the time to read the Bible, much less study it. If we are sojourners in this world, we have to know how to live and feeling out of place will be the norm. One final point. Remember those killer verses I told you in the beginning? Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. Y'all, this is theological gold. Our great and holy God does what he says. Y'all, I had a cross reference this week in Numbers 23. I'm going to read it again. God is not man that he should lie, or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? It is in light of who God truly is that we can be strong and courageous. We can rest in knowing that he has already won the war. Let's drink deeply of these truths. Let's preach them to ourselves. Let's believe them deep, deep in our souls. So when doubts and fears creep in, and they're going to, when we say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, we can resist our adversary with the beauty of God's holy love for us. Okay. So we're gonna do something a little different today. And um, first of all, I have a little happy for somebody. Um, Somebody has this little heart, this little pink heart underneath the table. And if you have it, you get a little prize. It's over here somewhere, apparently. I didn't put it. Oh, okay, so this is yours. And this book, let me tell you about this book. It's called Every Moment Holy. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. And um, it's, I, I, it's gorgeous. And I think you should all order it. It's kind of pricey. So uh, <laughs> here you go. You're welcome. And happy Valentine's. Happy Valentine's. Yeah. Thank oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. And so, out of this, this book is a book of liturgies. And I know here at Grace, we are not accustomed to doing liturgies, and liturgies done wrong are terrible. But liturgies done right are so beautiful. And I think I hope y'all will think it's as beautiful as I do. Um, the um, just the saying, repeating these words. Um, I hope they do go down into the joint and marrow of your soul and that you will take them away with you today and it will um, it will be a blessing to you. So we're going to do a liturgy. If I can, oh, here we go. All right, so y'all can see your part and I will move it along as we go. So you're the bold part. and But I really want you to think about these words you're saying. Don't just say them. Please think about them. Think about what you're saying, what you're confessing to the Lord this morning. And um, as we say these words, I pray that during the day, they will mean something to us. And maybe it would be a good practice for us to do these things just in your own home on a daily basis. And that's why I think this book is so good. There's a liturgy for everything. There's even a liturgy for changing a diaper in that book. So (laughs) anyway, here we go. O children of the living God, what is your Father's greatest desire for you this day? And how would you show this love? O oh, children of the living God, you would do well to practice your love in these ways today. Do you now possess the needed strength to perfectly accomplish such holy requirements? Let us now bring before our gracious God any petitions relevant to this day. O Lord, hear our prayers. O children of God, casting your cares upon his strong shoulders, now surrender your own agendas for this day and instead be led by the working of his Spirit. Not one, of, not one word of all of his good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. May these words of God bring to each of us conviction, challenge, and comfort as our lives and choices this day require. us even now, Lord. Prepare our bodies for the labor of this day. Prepare our minds for the demands of this day. And clarity, and Prepare our souls for those sorrows and joys and celebrations and disappointments we will encounter that every circumstance would only serve to draw us nearer to you. Now, you who are loved by God, step forward into this new day appointed by Him that you may journey through its hours in the peace and the grace and the love of your Lord. Lord Amen. Amen. Thank you all.